This is Mike Corey from ESPN, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective and our Pirate Preview. The Pirates, we headed to Tampa to take on the South Florida Bulls on Thursday night. And right now to preview that matchup, very excited to welcome back into the show the play-by-play voice for USF, and that's Jim Whitehall. Jim, we appreciate your time this afternoon. Bubba, always a pleasure. Good to talk to you again. Definitely. Um, you know, it's been a while with the craziness of the world over the last couple of years and games getting canceled and so forth. But uh, as you take a look at this matchup on the Pirates, 12 and 12 overall, USF is 7 and 17. Um, but East Carolina, outside of the victory at Tulsa recently, uh, has just really struggled to score. Um, that's improved a bit uh, with the return of Brandon Suggs. But, um, you know, you look at this matchup. With USF's defensive numbers, this could be you know the first team to 55 or 60 wins. <laughs> well, we played a game uh, about a week ago, beat Temple 52 to 49, and we were looking with about five or six minutes to go in the game to see how many times USF had won games and scored in the 40s. So, yeah, I th- it might be first one to 50 wins this game. USF does not score a lot of points. They're in the bottom five in the nation in points per game. So uh, anything out of the 50s for USF is a, an offensive explosion. Now, off the air, uh, we were talking about the craziness of the college basketball world in terms of the transfer portal, and I would love to see some of the numbers nationally. There can't be, um, you know, here at East Carolina, we're you know very familiar with major roster overhauls. Coach Dooley executed one uh, prior to year two, and he executed another prior to um, this, um, his fourth season in Greenville. But, um, you know, the Pirates, I think, had seven new um, members of the roster this year. But the Bulls, uh, what you said, lost nine to the portal, but got eight. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a strange offseason with that extra year of eligibility. Uh, and, you know, a lot of guys could transfer or everybody could transfer without sitting out a year. It basically became a free agency in college basketball. Uh, it was really that in all the sports, but I think more so in basketball because one guy can make such a big impact on a team. I want to say the number was close to 1,600 players transferred in the offseason. And uh, USF got hit pretty hard with nine guys leaving. That wasn't the worst in the country. I know one team lost all 15 players on their roster, uh, which is, you know, unbelievable. But you got to do, you got to rebuild any way you can. So for USF, they went into the transfer portal. They brought in a lot of guys. They're extremely young. Uh, They basically traded in some guys like David Collins and Justin Brown that had been four-year players. Michael Durr, their center, was a three-year player. Alexis Yetna was a three-year player. And they got young guys. So most of those guys are technically uh, freshmen or sophomore for eligibility. Uh, again, they could be in their second year or even their third year. But eligibility-wise, they got a whole lot of time left to play at USF. Yeah, um, we were talking about you know, some of those guys. And you mentioned Collins, obviously, to play here recently um, against Duke. And that was so, uh, you know, 
so publicized and with social media and just the craziness of that play. And then you talk about Yetna, uh, what a what a stud he was during his time um, there in Tampa. And now he's with Seton Hall. And you have Castaneda up with Akron, uh, who's had a lot of success in recent years. And then you mentioned some other names, uh, you know, um, the young man who's also with Indiana. Yeah, Michael Durr actually transferred from USF to Virginia Tech, and he was there for just a short amount of time, maybe a week, and uh, they have an all-conference center at Virginia Tech, and so he realized real quick he wasn't going to play, and he was in discussions to come back to USF, and USF really wanted to keep him because they were pretty thin on the low block, so he was close to coming back, and then he had some ties and an assistant coach at Indiana, uh, was from the Georgia area, which is where Mike is from, and uh, he's from Atlanta. And so he said, why don't you come here to Indiana? So he said, well, wow, I'll go to the Big Ten. I'll have a chance to play there. Well, he got there, and he didn't realize that they had an All-American center in front of him. So his time will come, but he's not seeing as much playing time as he would have certainly at USF. But he's just one of those guys. Uh, you know, some other guys, Rayshon Williams is at Radford. Justin Brown, uh, left-handed three-point shooter, went to UAB. Madonna Ketch uh, was a kid that didn't play a whole lot here. Very talented. He's gone to Detroit Mercy, and he's gone crazy. He's shooting 50% from the floor, high 40s from, from three. Uh, he's averaging about 15 a game and eight rebounds. He's done sensational. And then Luke Anderson, a uh, kid who was at Iowa State uh, and transferred to USF, he transferred out, and he's gone down a level to Division Two. Yeah, so taking a look at um, this ball club, um, as I mentioned in the in the open, seven and seventeen, they've lost three in a row. Uh, last night on on Tuesday evening, uh, fell there at home uh, at the Yingling Center to Tulane, and uh, we'll we'll talk more about the league in general. What a job Ron Hunter has done with the Green Wave, but um, last night, despite knocking down eight three pointers, fell by nineteen. Yeah, for us to make eight three-pointers and to lose by that margin uh, is really out of the ordinary. We are the worst three-point shooting team in the country, um, number 350 out of 350, and it really hasn't been close to number 349 all year. I know at one point about a week and a half ago I did the numbers, and the Bulls going into the game that night needed to go 11 for 11 from three, and if they did that, then they would catch Green Bay as number 349. Well, of course, USF didn't do that. At night, I haven't run the numbers. It's a little too depressing for me to do that every game. Uh, but they made eight last night. They made seven the night before that. They're still in last, uh, but we're trying to close that gap on number three forty-nine. So, you know, give us a, a you know quick look at the season on the whole. Outside of the uh, shooting woes, thirty-seven point seven percent from the floor, twenty-four point eight from three, as you referenced, um, just sixty-six percent from the charity stripe but um, do have some very good defensive stats. And I know that's something that Joe Dooley on his weekly radio show on Monday night really uh, talked about uh, how USF can defend. And that's, you know, helped produce some wins. And then not that there wasn't a better than normal offensive performance, but like the victory over UCF, um, the, the Knights have had a very solid season. And um, the Bulls were able to beat the Knights there in Tampa, what, by about 25 points. Yeah, absolutely dominated UCF. That's a rivalry game. There was a lot of emotion in the building that night, big crowd. Uh, it's amazing what happens when you make a few shots from three-point land, which is what they did. Uh, that's the way this team is capable of playing. I think that's the way that Brian Gregory, the head coach, 
thought this team was going to play all year. When he brought in players in the transfer portal, the eight new players, it was really led by Javon Green, who was a 1,200-point score at George Mason. He had a couple 30-point games, high 30-point games, could really score the ball at George Mason. Uh, his shooting has not translated here to the American Conference. Uh, he's averaging about nine and a half points, but you know he'll go for 15 one game, and then he'll go for three the next game. Uh, just because I don't know if it's uh, if it's the shooting has rubbed off on him. Uh, his shooting has been down this year in the low 30s. Again, way out of the ordinary for him. Uh, but again, back to the UCF game, they played the way that they thought they would be playing all year long, shooting the ball well. For Brian Gregory, his theme has always been defense and rebounding will travel. So you go on the road in a hostile environment. And yeah, you might not shoot well, but as long as you can guard people and keep them from getting offensive rebounds, you're probably going to be in the game. Well, for USF, they have just shot the ball so poorly that it's wiped out any of that defense and rebounding. I mean, Tulane did not get an offensive rebound in the game last night. I, I, this is my 25th season. I don't ever remember doing a game where a team didn't get one offensive rebound in the contest, and that's what happened last night. But again, if you shoot so bad, the, the name of the game is how many points do you have on the scoreboard? And if you can't get the ball through that 18-inch cast iron hoop, then you're not going to win the game. Yeah, it's just been one of those years for Brian and Gregory's club. I mean, a couple mind-boggling numbers there. You make those eight threes that we already referenced, and then you uh, and then you don't allow an offensive rebound to the opposition and still lose by 19 points. Pretty head-scratching. Yeah, it's it's been that way all year long. I mean, we had a game uh, against Temple, 52-49 win, and Javon Green hits a three-pointer with 20 seconds to go which was their only made three of the game. They were in danger of a 200-plus game streak without a made three, but he knocks that one down. And then the game before that, uh, which was um, – or the, I'm sorry, the game after that, Cincinnati, they only made one three-pointer in the game. So uh, it, it, you picked the game, and I, and I can basically tell you what happened from beyond the stripe, and then that tells you how they did that night. So uh, when they went to Hawaii, three games in Hawaii, shot the ball pretty well, were in all three games, beat Hawaii – uh, out there, played BYU very close, lost to uh, Wyoming as well. But um, it just really hasn't been consistent all year. And when Brian Gregory got guys from the portal, his main objective was let's get some free throw shooting and let's get some three-point shooting. And really, neither one has happened, and much to his amazement, by the way. Now, with so many new pieces, um, first, let's start off with a guy who actually had been on rosters in years past, and that's Caleb Murphy, um, 6'4". Uh, playing nearly uh, 32 minutes per ball game, averaging 11.7 points, a little over three rebounds, and also three assists. So tell us about his game. And, you know, um, he's obviously doing some things maybe off the dribble and uh, because he's not shot the three well. No, he's made his first two three-pointers of the season over the last, I think, 10 days. He's two for 19 from there right now, and teams really have sagged off him. Uh, making him or daring him to shoot the three, and he's to the point, or he was to the point where he wasn't taking them at all. Uh, I will say this: this kid is special. He is just different. Uh, it's it's USF doesn't get kids that are top seventy-five, top fifty kids very often. He's the highest recruit in the history of the school. I think he was number fifty-six in the country uh, when he shocked everybody and came to USF again. Another Georgia kid. Um, but boy, uh, he just looks different than other guys on the floor because of the things he can do. We were at uh, Wichita State on Saturday. He's on a breakaway. Guy flashes in front of him, 
about the free throw line, full speed. He goes behind his back and uh, not on the dribble. Uh, he picks it up and goes behind his back and then lays it in on a finger roll uh, over the front rim. It's just one of those type things. And his, uh, his mid-range game is spot on. It's tremendous. Uh, again, because he doesn't shoot the three very well. He's 6'4". He's extremely long. He can get to the basket. He can block shots at the point guard spot. And uh, he can rise up over a lot of centers once he gets to the rim. But his specialty is off the dribble, stop and pop from about 16, 17, 18 feet. It's borderline unstoppable. And if he makes that, which he typically does, you know, he's going to give you 12 to 15 points. But uh, again, because we don't score very much, we have not had a player score 20 points in a game this season. We've had three different players score 19, but it's almost unheard of to not have somebody luck into a 20-point night. Outside of uh, Murphy, I know you have at least two, maybe three guys averaging nine-plus points per game. Uh, so tell us about some of those other um, options where, where, yes, it's limited scoring, but um, you know some of those other threats. Yeah, Javon Green is one of those, the kid from George Mason. Uh, he is a nice shooter, a lefty. It just looks prettier when lefties shoot, in my opinion. Uh, but he's a, he's a great defender. Again, long and lanky. He leads the team in steals. He's lightning quick with his hands. He's a good finisher. He's got that little teardrop in the lane that he likes. And then Jameer Chaplin, the small forward, is another player that came back. He's played more games in a USF uniform than anybody else on the roster, and he's only played in about 63 games. So that gives you an idea how young uh, this roster is. But Chap was kind of up and down, uh, started to get some more playing time last year. Uh, another Georgia kid, uh, as is Green. Um, but uh, this season he's really taken off, and it, and it didn't happen until he got to conference play. He had about five games in a row where he scored double figures, including a, a couple of career highs with 17. Uh, he can pretty much do it all. He can defend. He can block shots at six foot five or six. Um, he can dunk like crazy. He really gets off the floor, mid-range game. He has struggled to shoot the three along with everybody else, uh, but he just does a little bit of everything, and he's around nine points per game now. And then everybody else is a kind of a hodgepodge of, you know, plug and play, uh, although there's a, a guy that's really emerging as of late by the name of Corey Walker Jr. He went to Tennessee last year and broke his toe right before the season started. Once he got healthy, then he got covid and in his words, it was just a mess. Uh, everything just seemed to go wrong for him there. Top 75 player out of Jacksonville. And he just decided, I'm going to come back to the state of Florida. He knew some folks on the staff. Uh, USF got involved with him, and he transferred to USF. And really, over the last four or five games, he's been a, he's been a really outstanding player. And you can see how good he is. He needs to work on his body. He's still a little doughy, maybe. Um, and he missed the first four or five games of the year because he had a broken bone in his knee um, in the offseason. So injuries have kind of hampered him a little bit. But um, you can really start to see flashes. And, again, when you start talking about those top 75 players, they just look a little different than everybody else. Well, obviously you've had the opportunity to prepare for tomorrow night's broadcast. So, so just talk about uh, your impressions of Joe Dooley's ball club. Don't know how much you've had a chance to watch this year. But, um, you know, Vance Jackson coming on to the scene out of the transfer portal uh, after having been at UConn, New Mexico, and Arkansas, uh, he's really lived up to the hype, although he's kind of, uh, you know, struggled with consistency at times. But uh, he's been tremendous on the whole, uh, shooting about 43% from three. Uh, you, you had the Pirates, after having been competitive in the first 17 games of the season, went through a tough five- or six-game stretch without Brandon Suggs. 
uh, where where things were really a struggle, especially offensively. Um, Brandon Suggs brings so much, uh, even though he's not an excellent shooter. Um, you know, he brings things off the dribble and then creating offense uh, with his defensive prowess. But uh, you know, what what's your take on the Pirates? Well, uh, some of those games, there's some of those guys that you just named are very familiar names to us. You know, when you start talking about Robinson White and and J.J. Miles and Newton and, and those names are familiar names to us and guys that contributed a year ago. I did not realize Jackson's numbers were as good as they were until I started doing my paperwork uh, a little bit this morning. Um, I, I'm really surprised at his three-point shooting. And, and to be honest with you, that's the kind of guy that has given the Bulls trouble this year. Um, Jariah Horn at Tulsa went off against USF because of a stretch four. A, a kind of a center body that doesn't play the traditional center position. Kevin Cross at Tulane last night went off. Uh, same type body, uh, 6'8", 6'9", you know, 225, 230. Uh, too quick for the bigs of USF. Russell Chiwa is the center at 7 feet tall, 280 pounds. And then they have a, a, a backup center that's 6'9", 260. Uh, but neither of those guys can move the way they need to to guard the guys I just mentioned. So I really think that Jackson might be the toughest matchup for USF. And then, of course, talking with Brian Gregory last night in our postgame show, he's extremely concerned with Newton because he knows that guy is very capable of going off. Um, I think it's going to be one of those games where both teams shoot about 38%. Uh, it's going to end up being just like it always is at the Yingling Center where the last two games between these two have gone to overtime. And then the one before that was a two-point game. I'm looking at your typical 58-56 East Carolina-USF game. Yeah, certainly under the circumstances, um, you know, based on the history and what the teams have done recently, uh, it's hard to you know feel differently. But um, like you say, I think I think um, guys like a, like a Vance Jackson, you know, six six nine, that can. Um, do everything that he can do that's kind of the x factor going into tomorrow night's matchup but you know kind of shifting gears um we've talked about um while discussing this matchup um, opponents like tulane also ucf um we have not referenced houston and smu the teams that are at the top of the league and um, starting with smu um, they played houston recently and then won a thriller i believe that game was at moody coliseum and they'll have the rematch coming here in a couple weeks so, you know, what, what's your take around the league and some of the things that have been going on? Uh, well, we've played uh, – we had a stretch there where we played Houston twice, SMU twice, and UCF all in the span of about two weeks, which was uh, the toughest part of the season. Uh, I'll start with SMU. Uh, obviously, it starts with Kendrick Davis. Uh, the Bulls had actually done a really good job on him defensively uh, through about the first 18 minutes of both games. He didn't have a point, I know, in the first matchup until there was about two minutes to go in the first half, and then he ended up finishing with about 12 or 13. And then the same thing in the second game. The thing with Kendrick Davis that I like is, is two things. Number one, he can break you down off the dribble. So if you don't stay in front of him, it's a lot of trouble. He either gets to the basket or when the help comes, he finds the open guy every time. Uh, he's got a nice little turnaround jump shot uh, from about 15, 16 feet, which at his size, you don't think he's going to be able to get that off, and he always does. And then he's got a nice complimentary cast around him. And then from Houston, I mean, they just suffocate you defensively. Uh, that's where USF has run into all kinds of problems. They're extremely long uh, at the guard spot. They're long at the forward spot. Fabian White feels like he just signed a new three-year deal. I swear he's been there since the early 90s. Um, you know, he's six foot eight. 
uh, as a forward and kind of a glue guy that makes them go. They've lost a couple of pieces, and I know that's why Kelvin Sampson has um, been mentioned as a potential coach of the year candidate in the American. I personally, personally like Ron Hunter at Tulane. I think the job they've done and he has done with that program, which has just been morbid for so long, uh, to even be in the discussion for a first-round buy in the American Conference Tournament, to me, jumps off the page. But uh, it, it, the league is going to go through Houston and SMU, and more than likely it's still going to go through Houston. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, two tremendous teams there. be interesting to see if SMU uh, makes its way into the tournament. Certainly looks to be on the right track um, at this point for sure. But, um, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying about Kendrick Davis, uh, not to get off on a tangent, but Pirates held Kendrick Davis to um, seven points, one out of eight from the floor. And then wow. And then you had uh, – you know, other other folks go off and just have tremendous ball games, uh, like Bandamel, uh, <laughs> knock down six three pointers. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing is they they've got other weapons, and uh, and for Davis, the thing that I felt really got him going against us was he wasn't scoring the ball, so he said, "All right, fine, I'll just create for other people," and that's what makes him so dangerous. And and again, it it's, it only helps if you got guys that can make shots. If you if he's setting people up and they're clanking them off the iron all the time. Well, then it doesn't do you any good. Um, a, a guy that's very similar to Davis is Jalen Cook from Tulane, who really had a good game against us down in New Orleans. Uh, he didn't do as much last night. But again, at six feet tall, 205 pounds, the guy's a bulldog. And uh, he can go through people. He can go around people super quick. I think he and Davis are the two most exciting players in the league. And I really don't even think it's close. Final thing for you, uh, obviously, um, Brian Gregory's had some success there in Tampa. Um, tough year this year. You know, where do things stand uh, with Coach Gregory in terms of his contract and uh, so forth? Yeah, so he was looking at uh, this year and then next year on a contract, and then that was it. And there was a lot of discussions. Uh, he had told me publicly and privately that he was working on an extension that goes all the way back to the 19, uh, 2019-2020 year. Uh, where the Bulls won the CBI. I'm trying to think if that was 18-19 or 19-20. Uh, they won the CBI. He had 24 wins, set a school record. So the administration was already working on a contract extension at that time. Uh, it kind of bled into the next year when COVID wiped the season out, so they couldn't really do a contract extension that time. In fact, coaches on campus took pay cuts, as many coaches did around the country. Uh, it just didn't look good to be collecting all your money when they're laying off 40, 50 people inside the athletic department. And then uh, they didn't do it again last year because COVID was such an issue. So they finally got it done. And in fact, Michael Kelly, the vice president of athletics at USF, did something I've never seen an athletic department do before. And it was a blanket contract extension for every head coach in the department. Uh, every sport, every coach got a contract extension, including Jeff Scott, the football coach. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, how on earth is he getting a contract extension? They've beaten two FBS teams in the last couple of years, uh, but he got one. Brian Gregory got his contract extension. Everybody got one. So Brian Kelly, uh, or Brian Gregory, that is, uh, I think his contract now will pay him about $1.6 million per year, and he's set up for another couple seasons. So um, he's going to be safe this year. If they have an, a tough year next year, I, I, I've got to think that Michael Kelly's going to have to explore that situation. I love Brian Gregory. He's fantastic to work with. Uh, there's no better class act, in my opinion, in coaching than him. 
uh, on and off the floor. So I hope he doesn't go anywhere, and I hope he has enough wins to stick around. That is definitely a very interesting situation, like you um, mentioned, as far as the department-wide contract extension. I don't, I don't believe I've ever heard of that being done either. Do you think that's kind of, uh, you know, like that we saw the eligibility rules? Do you think that's kind of a product of the, the COVID environment? Yeah, I think so, because so many coaches, you know, just got wrecked by COVID over not just a one-year window, but a two-year window. Uh, you know, the the transfers that happened at the end of two years ago, and then last year, when you're talking about, I mean, USF and a lot of teams missed 10 games during the course of the season. I remember USF didn't play for 30-some-odd days and couldn't even really practice over that stretch. So again, you're talking about nearly a completely wasted season. So I think basically what Michael Kelly did there was he gave all of those coaches back uh, a couple of years onto their contract and said, you know, we're just wiping those two years out. Now, there were some coaches that had tremendous success over those stretches. Denise Shilty Brown, the women's soccer coach, he's in the NCAA tournament all the time. Jose Fernandez, the women's basketball coach, he's in the NCAA tournament all the time. Didn't seem to affect them as much as some other coaches. But uh, uh, for Michael Kelly and for those coaches, they've got some peace of mind going forward. No doubt about it. Um, definitely good for all those USF coaches. Uh, well, Jim, we certainly appreciate your time and you coming on on such short notice to break down tomorrow night's matchup there at the Yingling Center, 7 o'clock tip-off between the Pirates and the Bulls, a game that will be broadcast on the ESPN Plus platform. But, you know, before we let you go, you know, tell folks if they want to check out the, the broadcasts uh, on the USF side uh, how they can do so. Yeah, you go to the iHeartMedia app. We're on the app now. Uh, it's been a tremendous success for us, crystal clear for everybody around the world. iHeartMedia app, and uh, that we have two channels dedicated to USF sports. One's called Bulls Unlimited, and the other, Bulls Unlimited 2. Uh, they were up all night dreaming up those sequels names. Um, so that's how you do it. You just click on that, and uh, it, it sounds awesome, and that's where we're at. So if you want to tune us in and, uh, and uh, hear your uh, pirates, you can do it that way as well. Again, appreciate the visit. Um, always enjoy catching up and talking college basketball with you. Um, you know, Pirate fans, if, you, if you're tuned in right now, you know, be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter and TikTok at the Sports OBJ, on Instagram at the Sports Objective. Like and follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And remember, our show can be found pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, including but not limited to Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and also anchor um, but for the play-by-play voice of the south florida bulls jim lighthall i am bubba rosenbaum and you've been listening to the sports objective we appreciate everyone tuning in take care <laughs>